Welcome to Growing Up Skywalker. My name is Anna. And I'm Sam. And today we are actually catching up slash merging with the actual Star Wars release chronology and then the universe chronology for the first time ever. We are a Geo Metro merging onto the interstate right here. This is fantastic. (laughs) Today we are talking about Tales of the Jedi, but we're talking about Dooku's tale, which is chapters two, three, and four of Tales of the Jedi, Justice choices and the sith lord so you'll never get a straight chronology out of us sorry. no never but for this one <laughs> glorious moment in the year of our lord 2022 we actually get to recap something as it comes out but first sam i would like to know what's the deal with tales of the jedi when did they come out why did they come out tell me everything so tales of the jedi is really new it came out i think last month which makes it like october of 2022 And they are a very short series of vignettes. They put out six episodes. Each one's only about 12 minutes long. And it was contrasting two stories. One of them is Dooku and the other one is Ahsoka. And it moves all the way from a long time ago. In fact, in terms of chronology, I believe that Choices is predates everything we've watched so far. Yes. In a perfect universe, we probably would have watched Choices First, and then The Phantom Menace, but alas. So when we come back to this project and redo it in 10 years, that's Oh my God, do. kill me now. <laughs> and so, One and done for me, my friend. And so there has been talk of a second series of these coming up at some point, but this is very much a Dave Filoni bebe made in the animation style, artistic style, and just general writing style of late season Clone Wars. And it's kind of a continuation of that expanding the universe within that framework. And they are fantastic. Oh, yeah. So let's talk about Justice, chapter two. So we open this chapter, this tale on young-ish Dooku and his Padawan, Qui-Gon Jinn. Uh, They're landing on this dilapidated planet. Super dilapidated. It's dirty and impoverished. All the trees are dead, which is very sad. All the droids are falling apart. This is important because Qui-Gon and Dooku have been dispatched to this planet to resolve a situation. This very poor, very disenfranchised people who live on this planet have kidnapped the son of their senator. And it quickly becomes clear that they kidnapped Senator Dagonet's son because he is a big jerk bag. He is the reason they are so poor and so disenfranchised. Mm-hmm. So the villagers take Qui-Gon and Dooku to see the senator's son, who they have imprisoned, but he was totally unaware of how much they were suffering. So he doesn't blame them at all. But then Dagonet arrives with a platoon of soldiers. Mm-hmm. All the villagers with weapons line up outside of this barn where they're keeping the sun. And Dagonet demands that Dooku, you know, take him to his son, get out of the way. Dooku tells him, I'm sorry, we haven't finished our investigation. And Dagonet loses his mind. Mm -hmm. He has his army fire on two Jedi and all of the villagers. And he is like... I will make an example of you and this village and the horse he rode in on. And then Dooku snaps. Mm-hmm. He force chokes Dagonet within an inch of his life. 
He's wielding his lightsaber with one hand and choking with the other. He flings Qui-Gon back and he's flinging soldiers around. And he's telling Dagonet that corruption like his needs to be eradicated. And Qui-Gon has to rush into the barn and free the son who runs to his father and pleads for Dooku to stop killing his dad. The son is literally protecting the dad with his own body from Dooku smiting him down. And Qui-Gon finally puts a hand on Dooku's shoulder and says, Master, it's over. And then we cut to Dagony's son promising the villagers that he's not going to let their suffering continue to continue now that he knows what's going on. And they sort of nod, very unconvinced. And Dooku and Qui-Gon have this conversation at the end of the tale where Dooku says, you know, I wonder if any actually meaningful change is going to happen from this. And Qui-Gon is like, is that why you decided to take actions into your own hands? And Dooku doesn't answer him. He just says, your actions saved a lot of lives today. Mm -hmm. And Qui-Gon says, you know, I was just thinking in the moment, master. And Dooku says then you're a wiser man than me, Qui-Gon Jinn. And that is the first tale of Dooku. So we learn a lot about Dooku from this one. And we also learn a lot about the politics of the Republic and the Senate leading up because uh, we've talked about this a little bit at length before of how the Senate is made up of what appears to be like the kings of the planets that they live on. It's a hereditary dictatorship represented as if it were a democracy. Yeah, I find it very interesting and very compelling. And we will talk, we will probably continue to talk about this. Two of Dooku's three tales revolve around the corruption of senators. Yeah. And this senator is demonstrably corrupt because they've let this whole planet, this whole countryside fall into ruin and they're living so removed from their people. Yeah. So Dagonet's son says, I had no idea this was happening. I'm in the capital. If I'm ever not in the capital, I'm on Coruscant. Mm -hmm. I had no idea this was happening. And he actually questions his father. He says, how could you do this to our people? But Despite it ostensibly being a democracy, it's assumed that the son is going to be the one who will take over for his father. And that's why the question that Qui-Gon poses in the very Dungeons and Dragons bar of yeah. like, how, why don't you just elect a new senator? And all the townspeople are like, you entire sack of dumb. Like, how do you not recognize that that's not the way this game is played? Yeah, I hadn't thought about it as a hereditary dictatorship sort of political system. It's actually incredibly dark. Another interesting note, and I think this is kind of a stylistic choice. The uniforms that Dagonet's soldiers are wearing are kind of reminiscent of like Prussian uniforms circa 1850-1860. I just registered them as Senate Guard uniforms. No, no, especially Dagonet himself. Big, tall hat blue, lots of metals. And then the guards themselves were holding these automatic laser blasters that kind of looked like MP40s hmm. to me, which were the submachine guns most famously used by the Nazis during World War II. Ooh. And it contrasted neatly with the weapons that the villagers had, which were pretty much all big, long rifles that looked like bolt-action rifles of the sort, which any... 
anyone anywhere at the turn of the century would have. So this paints a very 1800s picture to me or early 1900s picture of the forces of conservatism, the forces of power coming in and being willing to exact a toll from people in order to have a wonderful life for themselves. It's honestly very feudal. And we talk all the time about how Star Wars is a feudal system. There Mm -hmm. are so many petty lordlings with serfs Mm -hmm. who work the land to eke out a living and give all of their wealth and resources to whoever is in charge of them. So I think, I mean, this is very reminiscent of the Star Wars history smoothie that we get. You know, a lot of the prequel films are very much a mishmash of different cultures, different religions. Mm -hmm. And I think this is just a very pure example of that, right? You get 1800s, you get Nazis, you get Dark Ages. You also get a really interesting element in this one of forgiveness. Hmm. So the very first villager who sees them uh, shutters her windows and then she peeks out after them as they walk away. Oh my God. And props for the Star Wars doggo in this scene. (laughs) He is great. But moving forward, the main villager is an older woman who does basically all the narrating like and what's going on. the village headwoman kind yeah. of vibe. And then we later learn that the first woman is the one who uh, went and called the cops, told the senator that they were there. And I don't know if you registered this. Those two women, the older one who was narrating for the villagers and the one who is the betrayer look exceedingly similar. Oh, they are almost certainly mama daughter. They have the same eyes, the same face, the same kind of hangdog expression. Yeah. And I find that to, and, but then the mother said as, as they're watching her get her 30 pieces of silver or whatever, the mother's like, (laughs) it's not like any one of us would do that. She's hungry. Yeah. And that state of forgiveness. And then, Qui-Gon's question at the end is, is that why you took things into your own hand? We are Jedi. We are above and beyond this level of dispute. We do not mete out justice. Mm. But that is not what Dooku sees it as because Dooku sees that allowing corruption to spread is allowing injustice to spread. Yeah, there's that tiny moment in this episode that I love so much where Dagonet is facing off against the Jedi and the couple of villagers with blasters. And Dagonet says, you're Jedi. You serve the Senate. You have to stand down when I order you to. And Dooku says, we serve the people of this Republic. Mm -hmm. And all the villagers' eyes go wide because... Maybe they've never heard a Jedi say that before. Maybe they've never had a Jedi. Maybe they've never believed that a Jedi would stand up for them. They talk about that earlier when they say that the Jedi are tools of the Senate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's just, it's very interesting to see how Dooku chooses to be the servant of the Republic Mm -hmm. in his view in this episode, because the way he does it is meeting out the justice that he thinks is right and proper. But it's unclear that he's won over any hearts and minds by doing this. It's unclear that he's really changed things or resolved things. I mean, it seems that if Dooku hadn't intervened, 
the the son of the senator would have gotten the lesson that he got. Mm-hmm. Dagonet would have picked up his son and his son would have said, this is unacceptable. We can't keep doing this. So was Dooku's intervention to be a force for justice really necessary? And in a way, I think the fact that at the end, Dagonet is so beaten and like has had has been put in his place by hey i ordered my guards to fire on a jedi and then the jedi got a little bit angry one percent angry proceeded to beat up all of my guards and beat me within an inch of my life i got the shiz kicked out of me. yeah so maybe dagonet has learned a little bit of humility but we'll see how far that goes and that is the point of this one is also for dooku i wonder if any meaningful change will come from this well i think the point of this episode And I think the reason it's so fascinating for me, because I got really stuck on this one. Mm -hmm. I just loved it. Because it's titled Justice, right? But it's actually asking the question, who keeps the justice keepers in check? Mm. Who keeps the Jedi in check? Yeah. So we talked, Sam, a million years ago in one of our Clone Wars episodes about how because the Jedi have superpowers... Basically, they need to be held to a higher moral or ethical standard than regular people. Yeah. And the calling card of the Jedi is that they have the Jedi code. They have this internal barometer to make sure that they're doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. But the problem is that the only one who can enforce a Jedi is a Jedi. They can either enforce the code on themselves or on a fellow Jedi. And the Jedi don't always get to travel in pairs. Like sometimes they get to go do things together, but a lot of times they're splitting up or it's just a Jedi on their lonesome. Like how many times have we seen Obi-Wan flitting about Coruscant doing detective work or flitting about the galaxy hunting down Grievous or finding Mm -hmm. Kamino? A lot of the times it is one Jedi on their own meeting out justice the way they see fit, right? Or and I think this is important, it's a Jedi with their Padawan. And then the Padawan is learning from them. The Padawan is learning from them, but, and we see this with Qui-Gon and Dooku, and we see this with Ahsoka and Anakin, I think a lot of times the Padawan ends up being the enforcer for someone who's supposed to be teaching them. Mm-hmm. In this episode, Qui-Gon has to be Dooku's moral compass. He has to be the one observing the situation, seeing that Dooku is going to cross a line, and he has to go run into the barn and free the sun and try to fix it, right? He does. And that's also Dooku, or that's also Qui-Gon knowing sort of a darkness about Dooku, because as Mm -hmm. soon as Dooku turns on offensive mode, he flings Qui-Gon back Mm -hmm. into the barn using the Force. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I I think this is so unfortunate because it can be very traumatizing for a young person to have to watch out for the adults Mm -hmm. in their lives, right? And I was thinking about this today and I was just thinking about, you know, most people, I would say, have experienced traumatizing things. Yeah. Like the trauma is different, but I think it is quite common for people to have experienced trauma. What's interesting is their reaction. In my experience, a lot of people, and I'm try- I, I want to be careful 
how I say this, but a lot of people that I know who have experienced really tough things have used it as lessons for how Mm -hmm. to not do that thing in the future. And what I saw in Qui-Gon in this episode, and I think what we also see with Ahsoka and Anakin, who's been in some very similar situations, is that they seem to use these experiences of having to try to tug their masters back to the light side is that they're actually learning how to not be a Jedi Hmm. or how to be a Jedi in contrast to people who are not living up to the Jedi code. You know, I want to explore this a little bit further. And I think the best way to do that is actually to move on to the next episode. Okay. Interesting. next episode is choices mm-hmm. and in this one uh dooku and mace windu are headed to a planet uh the planet is raxus secundus and the recent events that led them together are that master katri a jedi has died in an ambush so they head down they meet with the local senator senator Larrick, and Larrick's like yeah, there was an ambush that came out of the woods. They, I went alone to negotiate with rebels. And they're like, this is kind of suspicious. But Mace is fine with that. He's like, just give us the body and we'll bounce. And Dooku says, I want to go to the ambush site. Wouldn't you want her to investigate how you died? Yeah, right? which, you know, maybe. 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 Seems like Mace wouldn't care. But they go to the ambush site, and now Mace is actually twigged out because they're looking around and they're like, this isn't an ambush site. This is like an assassination site. Detective Dooku on the scene figures it out in 0.2 seconds. Yeah, they, they, uh, they're looking around. They're like, and there's no blaster marks on your ship. And Larrick breaks. He says, my guards assassinated her. Larrick runs towards the Jedi, expecting them to protect him. Uh, They're going to, but the guards open fire. Shoot him in the back. He goes down. And then a whole bunch of robots swarm out of the trees. A very cool action sequence as Mace and Dooku proceed to dismantle trees, droids, guards. And eventually there's two guards standing there. They're holding them at gunpoint or at saber point. (laughs) I mean, same, same. Yeah, same, same. (laughs) One of the guards... Mace puts down his lightsaber. The guard dives for a blaster and Mace deflects the blaster into him, killing that guard. And we're left with the one, uh, this guard has got a cool scar across his face and his eyes are different colors. And he spills the beans that these guards were planning on forcing the incredibly corrupt Senator Larrick to put in place some changes because there was just no other choice. They had caught him red-handed, just completely selling the planet for profit. And they fully believed that Master Katri was in the hands of the Senate. Mace disagreed and said, Master Katri was a Jedi. You should have brought it up with her. You should have followed proper channels, yada, yada. As they're leaving, as they put this guard and the other corrupt guards in jail, Dooku says, you make some good points. Keep keep heart and evolve. It is the only way forward. He's like staring into the guard's eyes and the guard is like, Jedi are the lapdogs of the rich and powerful. Mm-hmm. Their interests always come first. And Dooku's like, no, like, you right though. 
Also, as they're leaving, Mace is like, hey, do you think you acquitted yourself well? And Dooku's like, I did great. You're the one who killed the guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, I did I did great. I have no problem explaining myself to the council. And then they get back to Coruscant and they have the funeral for Katri. Mm-hmm. And Mace gets her council seat instead of Dooku. And Dooku is absolutely full of disdain for this, as well as sort of just the whole political situation, the politicization of the council. He's just like washing his hands of this entire situation. So that's choices. What reminded you, what what resonated for you between these two tales? So the, I, the contrast here is that Dooku wants to know the truth and Mace wants to follow the council's wishes. Yeah. And that the reason that Mace got the council seat and Dooku didn't was because due to Dooku's actions, I mean, due to Dooku's investigation, basically. Due to Dooku. Due to Dooku. (laughs) Larrick got assassinated, right? Mm -hmm. Because if he had left well enough alone, then Larrick would have probably been kept propped up as a puppet by the rebel faction within, stayed alive. And that's not rocking the boat. And that appears to be what the council wants. They're like, we exist. We do not rock the boat. Dooku is rocking the boat. And it feels like what is happening here is that the Jedi lineage of Dooku to Qui-Gon to Obi-Wan to Anakin to Ahsoka. My babies. Is one of people who want to do the right thing almost against the express wishes of the council because they see themselves as a larger force of justice. And they also see themselves as saying, there is more here. We have to do the right thing no matter what the rules are. Mm. Whereas Mace Windu is recognizing that the politics, there, there's a political game to play here. And I'm not exactly sure what it is. Maybe maybe Mace has to like do the balance sheets for the Jedi Order. And he's like, we need the Senate to buy us new shuttles because <laughs> we got this, you know, people crash them all the time. And he hasn't even met Anakin Skywalker Anakin yet. Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, Anakin at this point probably hasn't even been born yet. But you know what yeah. I wrote down for this episode? Because the first time I watched it, I immediately forgot about it. It made no impact on me. And then my only note for this episode was, this is just the war of the middle managers vying for the same promotion. Kind of, yeah. And like, for what? And then Dooku being a maverick mm-hmm. and going through and actually solving the case and actually getting to the point of things is the right thing, but not rocking the boat and moving forward in the organization, keeping the organization intact is the right thing. And now we, I mean, you know, I'm obsessed with the Jedi lineage, Mm -hmm. the Yoda to Dooku to Qui-Gon to Obi-Wan to Anakin to Ahsoka thing (laughs) is like my favorite thing in the world. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I love seeing the echoes of each other on our main characters, right? Mm -hmm. Dooku, is interested in being a maverick, in really digging into the investigation, in finding the truth. He's not so much interested in the wishes of the Jedi Council. This is exactly what Qui-Gon goes through, where Obi-Wan says, you know, if you just followed the Council's orders, they would make you one of them. Yeah. 
And Qui-Gon is like, I'm not interested in that. I have real work to do. Although later on, Obi-Wan becomes a master master on the Jedi Council. Well, yeah, because the pendulum swings, right? I think it is. whenever we think we are doing something of our own volition, I always wonder if it's actually in reaction to someone else in our life. Mm -hmm. And either we're trying to follow in their footsteps or we're trying to distance ourselves from them. But either way, the pendulum is swinging one way or the other, right? Because, you know, then Anakin sees what Obi-Wan has and he wants to be like Obi-Wan. He wants to be on the council. Yeah. I just think it is so beautiful how we are products of the people that we love and look up to. Mm -hmm. There's also that incredible moment where at the end of Justice, Dooku says to Qui-Gon, you're a wiser man than I am. Mm -hmm. And that is something that Qui-Gon says to Obi-Wan and that Obi-Wan says to Anakin. And I just think it's so beautiful that we have so many Jedi Masters who genuinely adore their Padawans Mm -hmm. and are so honored to be their Jedi master and let them know how much they love them. And then we see this lineage of these young Jedi who are influenced by the ones who come before them. It's just, it's, there is a tragedy in it too, because Dooku is in the middle of his descent to the dark side. He is. And I think this interlude shows the separation of Dooku from the connection between the Senate and the Republic. Because that's what the whole back and forth between Mace and Dooku is about in this episode, is Dooku saying, people will continue to not think that the Jedi are arbiters of peace or peacekeepers if they see them as always fulfilling the Senate's will. Yeah. And I don't know if Mace makes the distinction. And I think that this non-attachment of the Jedi can be taken too far to become lawful stupid. Ooh. Which is kind of what Mace is playing at in this. Because, like, right away in this one, they're like, okay, at at the ambush site, they're like, okay, so Master Catchery was obviously assassinated, not in a, a... ambush but this was like a, a political this was a setup yeah so we need to uh call in the council and figure stuff out and dooku says i will have the truth turns on his lightsaber and then the fight turns on yeah and so dooku does show more initiative but he's also playing a different set of laws because recognizing the huge bureaucracy of the Senate, which is self-supporting, it wants to be more powerful. That's what like a hereditary dictatorship does is it concentrates power in the hands of the powerful. Mm. And so by breaking against that, he's showing uh, an emphasis against what the Jedi council does because the Jedi council doesn't want to make waves. And what's super interesting about this one is that it takes place on Raxus Secundus. Yeah. So, I love this huge emphasis on Dooku as a political being, Dooku as someone who's interested in the politics of the galaxy, Mm -hmm. because there's that weird thing in the prequel films, even kind of in the Clone Wars, where it's not immediately clear why Dooku becomes the figurehead for the separatist political forces. Mm -hmm. It's not clear why he's leading that movement, but after watching his three tales, I'm like, yeah, why wouldn't Dooku lead the anti-corruption wing of galactic politics? That is clearly what he's most interested in. Yeah. Well, I think that moves us into the third one. 
Yeah. So the final chapter of Dooku's tale is chapter four, The Sith Lord. The Sith Lord. Dooku's final tale begins as he uses Jedi Master Sifo Dyas's access code. To, which was a three-number pin, by the way. Which is hashtag not secure. <laughs> hashtag get a keychain. Um, he deletes Kamino from the Jedi archives so that no one can find it until investigator Obi-Wan comes onto the scene 10 years later. Yeah. So we actually learn the exact timing of this tale because Dooku comes out into the archives proper, talks with Jocasta Nu. We learn that Qui-Gon has just encountered a Sith Lord on Tatooine and told the council about it, which times this squarely in the middle of the Phantom Menace. Yep. So that's kind of fun to get a really tangible pinpoint in our chronology. Then Dooku finds Qui-Gon walking through the temple with Master Yaddle, mm-hmm. who looks like Yoda, except beautiful, and is the best. So all it takes to make Yoda beautiful is Revlon, hair and shampoo. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's Maybelline. Yeah. Maybe Yaddle is the L- best. Literally, Yoda is, he, look at you, look at the you plus the shampoo commercial. <laughs> that is the difference between Yoda and Yaddle. Look at Yoda, now back at Yaddle. <laughs> Yaddle is beautiful. Do, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all. That's the note. That's the note. Yaddle is beautiful. So (laughs) Dooku tells Qui-Gon to be careful with this Sith Lord who we know is Darth Maul Mm -hmm. because, you know, Sith Lords are not to be trifled with. The next scene is Dooku on the Jedi patio where they have their barbecues Mm -hmm. looking at the tree that Qui-Gon loved and he is grieving the death of his former Padawan. Yeah, because Qui-Gon was born on Coruscant, and this is the only tree he had, like, his first tree he had seen. Which is so sad. It really is. Just like a throwaway mm-hmm. knife to the stomach. Anyway, Dooku is deeply upset. He skips the funeral on Naboo. Instead, he travels to see the Sith Lord Prime, Darth Sidious himself, to blame him for killing Qui-Gon. And Sidious is like, hey, my apprentice got killed too. (laughs) We are tit for tat, my friend. (laughs) Importantly, Master Yaddle has followed Dooku to this hangar. And we get some more timeline. Dooku has already betrayed sifo and set up the clone army on Kamino. Mm -hmm. But it's not evident that he's completely pledged himself to the dark side. He's not apprenticed to Darth Sidious yet. Yeah. And, And Yaddle doesn't wait to hear more. She leaps out into the light and she says, this ends here, Sith Lord. She tells Dooku that no matter what he's done, no matter what his crimes are, he can make up for it now by helping her to bring Darth Sidious to justice. But at the same time, Sidious is saying, prove your loyalty to this cause. Prove that you are willing to bring the corrupt Jedi Order to justice. Mm -hmm. And Dooku is torn between his old life and his new life, his old friend, his new master... And he chooses the dark side. Mm-hmm. He pulls his lightsaber on Yaddle. He has the upper hand on her pretty rapidly. She fights heroically. And the whole time, she's trying to talk him back over to her side. But he eventually 
knocks her into the teeth of the enormous open gateway in this hangar. Mm-hmm. And in a moment of pure desperation, he snaps it shut on her. And the hangar falls into darkness. And Sidious tells Dooku, you've done well, my apprentice. But then the room bursts into light. Yaddle is using the force to lever up this massive door. It's actively pushing down on her. Force theme comes on. There's light streaming into the room. Sidious is like holding his hood over his face. And then Yaddle tumbles onto the floor at Dooku's feet. And she says, so many have suffered already for what you call order. And Dooku says, then let me give you peace, Master Yaddle. He beheads her with his lightsaber, and then Darth Sidious smiles while the shot fades into darkness. And so at the end of this, we see, I guess, now Dooku, who had been a betraying a dark Jedi, an evil, a force for evil, but trying to get his wish fulfilled by Palpatine, by Sidious, of trying to set up a separatist movement, Mm -hmm. of setting up something which would bring about the fall of the Jedi. And now he is Darth Tyrannus. He is the apprentice. Yeah, I guess I never really put the pieces together that Dooku was sincere in leading the separatist wing of the galactic political system, Mm -hmm. I never realized, or for some reason, I never put the pieces together that he really did want the separatists to win. And he really did want the Jedi to become something better than what it was. And he wanted the Republic to become something better than what it was. Yeah. He led a populist reformer movement, right? And that is like, in Heroes on Both Sides, which is our best view into the Separatists, where we learn how deeply corrupt the Republic is from the point of view of someone who's left it. And we actually never really see the Separatists be corrupt. I mean, they're, they're venal and they're weird, and they're obviously being led as part of Dooku's machinations yeah, that he set up with Sidious. Yeah, but Mina Monteri is great. Mina yeah. Monteri is a very upright you know, believer in in good and justice and democracy. And she's one of Padme's best friends. So we we see the window into the separatists, which is that they have been correct all along. The Republic is corrupt. And that level of corruption is enforced by the Jedi, which is also something that we've talked about at length yeah. of why people don't trust the Jedi and why it's so easy for Palpatine to turn popular sentiment against the Jedi. Yeah. Because... The Jedi are just a arm of superheroes who enforce the Senate's will. And if the Senate decides to have a will that is nefarious or callous, then the Jedi will enforce it. Yeah. And then who keeps a check on the enforcers? Nobody, because they're superheroes. And then also the Jedi can't enforce anything against the Senate. They're yeah. they're just they've just become a weapon as opposed to uh, peacekeepers, as opposed to something of defense. Yeah, this is what we see Ahsoka actively deprogramming herself from at the end of the Clone Wars, right? Mm -hmm. She was like, I was born and bred to be a soldier just like a clone, and I want to be something more. Exactly. 
What I love about these episodes is that all of these episodes surrounding Dooku are about exploitation and Mm -hmm. the suffering of the common people. And Dooku's descent into darkness is just a reaction to that suffering. You know, like the fall of Anakin in the prequel era is because of love. Mm -hmm. And the fall of Dooku is from compassion, which Anakin would argue is love. You know, they see suffering and they want to fix it. Yeah. There's ego in it too. And there's this feeling that Anakin and Dooku are both meant for great things and they're powerful and influential. But I think at its heart, their fall to the dark side comes from a longing for light. It does. It comes from a longing for right. Yeah. And they keep getting advice against that of recognizing that their own ego might be getting in the way. Mm. Specifically in the second one of this arc, that's what May specifically says to Dooku. Mm -hmm. But where is that line drawn of someone's ego and someone's decision for right and wrong versus someone just filling out the will of another entity, which might be wrong at its core. Yeah, I mean, I think so much of Star Wars is like that that really iconic image of the vase that's in black and white. And mm-hmm. if you look at it one way, it's a vase. And if you look at it the other way, it's like the woman mm-hmm. silhouette. And I like that's the Jedi, right? Yeah. Are they keepers of the peace or are they enforcers of the Senate? That's Dooku. Is he a maverick or is he a tool of the dark? Yeah. And it turns out that it was just a time ripe for Sidious to grab people, multiple people, Anakin, Maul, Dooku, to set in place a series of events which would catapult him to power. Yeah. I mean, I think the... The difference between the Jedi that we see follow the light and the Jedi who we see fall into dark is really just whether or not Sidious has an interest in them or not. Mm. Because Qui-Gon sees exactly what Dooku sees. And Qui-Gon chooses to be a warrior for the light and Dooku chooses to fall to the dark. Ahsoka sees pretty much everything Anakin sees, but Sidious chooses to groom him and ignore Ahsoka. Ahsoka becomes... An ambivalent force for peace, Anakin becomes Darth Vader. Darth Vader. Yeah. Hmm. I definitely think there's there's more going on than just Sidious. I, I guess I don't want to believe it's just Sidious hmm. because that gives him so much power. I want to believe that there's people who were affected by Sidious and were not influenced by it. I would say Padme Amidala spends a fair bit of time with the Chancellor of the Galactic Republic Mm -hmm. and never falls for his BS. And you know, neither does Yoda. Yeah, that's true. And neither... Does Mace, really. Neither does Mace, I was going to say. Yeah, and so there exists a path, perhaps, that is very narrow for Jedi to trot upon. And I think that narrow path is one of Mace and Yoda. I also think there's a path of passion, and that's the one that Qui-Gon and Padme Mm. follow because Qui-Gon was a quester. Yeah. Qui-Gon was way off the grid because he's questing for the Chosen One. He's like, I'm going to devote my life's work to finding a prophecy. 
And along the way, I'm going to discover, oh, you know, the secret to immortality, but whatevs. Yeah. So there's, and and that's a very cool thing for a Jedi to do. And that is what Obi-Wan ended up doing Hmm. as well, following out of sort of a mixture of those two paths. He wanted to do what's right, and he was willing to do whatever it took to do what's right, including defeating his best friend, his Padawan, and then having to give it all up. But he gave no thought to bravery of that. It was it was not um, uh, anything of ego. So Obi-Wan was following a path of purpose as well as a path of equanimity. And you think that kept him safe from Sidious's influence or Sidious was maybe just not interested in him? I wonder if someone who is able to conquer their fears, such as Yoda did in Yoda's journey arc, is not swayed by the dark side. Ooh, because they're following the Jedi code. They're not afraid to lose what they love. So Sidious has no handholds in them. Yeah, and that is in an interesting and somewhat like weird perverse incentive what the populism of Dooku, the Populist Reformer Act, is as well. Because this idea of... There is a problem and the way to solve it is through fundamental structural change is an idea based in fear as well. Hmm. And going through proper channels as Mace did is the one of equanimity and it results in long-term change. And that change can be perverted in the long term as well as happened with Sidious. But the... Long the ability to take the long view is a luxury which um, the Jedi must take. That's why I thought it was so beautiful that after Qui-Gon says in the first episode, Justice, oh, I was just thinking in the moment, Master, and Dooku yeah. says, then you're a wiser man than me. I think it's because Dooku isn't ever thinking in the moment. He's thinking big picture. He is. He's thinking about how this one senator represents all of the corruption he hates and making that person into a symbol and then and then thinking that he can reshape the whole galaxy yeah. the way that he wants to if he can get rid of that symbol. Whereas Qui-Gon is just thinking about the people involved. Yeah. And and responding to the moment. And being someone who has a clear set of things to follow, a clear, simple set of rules. And as long as they follow that, then things are going to generally move in the right direction. Yeah. But yeah. Dooku wants to take things into his own hands and does, and then he loses his hands. Well, <laughs> that's not all. But yes. <laughs> And, you know, everything above the hands as well. Yeah. And below, because, you know, he dies. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. I would be remiss if I did not mention that the cellos in Justice are probably my favorite Star Wars instrumental Mm -hmm. of all time. They are doing the work. There is some excellent music throughout this, and it's been a real joy watching through the Clone Wars and now Tales of the Jedi in the order we've been watching them because there's been these fits and starts, right? It was the uh, the season seven of the Clone Wars came out several years after season six. And then this, a continuation of the Clone Wars in uh, a sort of a spiritual successor. 
afterwards and the animation has improved so much the budgets are monstrous mm-hmm. like they had ian mcdermott do freaking palpatine he's, he was great he was great he's a he's a pretty big actor you know and so they had, they <laughs> they had, actors. They had liam neeson come back had, to me and the uh, young qui-gon is played by liam neeson's son oh my god which is no fun. that's yeah. amazing so there's a lot of like this was oh. a big budget clone wars style late clone Wars style thing which has amazing art and it was and amazing intentionality too this form factor is very well served yeah yeah every little puzzle piece is beautiful and fits beautifully and it is filling in the last couple pieces of the clone wars yeah although i don't think that this is so much your run-of-the-mill, I would like to watch some Star Wars. This is deep cuts of Star Wars as well. Yeah, it, it rewards the close watcher and, and, and the serious fan. And stuff, yeah. Yeah. With that said, mm-hmm. is it time for Baywatch? So this is our first Baywatch for something besides a movie or Clone Wars. So that's exciting. But yes, it is time for Baywatch. It's time for Baywatch. It's time for Baywatch. So who is your bae and who makes their shampoo? (laughs) Okay, Sam, I do want it to be Yaddle. Okay. Because she's just Team Revlon, Team team Maybe It's Maybelline, Team Easy Breezy Beautiful Cover Yaddle. (laughs) She is just a beautiful person and I am so glad we get to know her. Mm-hmm. She is like who I wanted Jocasta New to be mm-hmm. or who I thought Jocasta New was until Jocasta New got totally shafted with yeah. just bad character development in Attack of the Clones. Fair. Having to be the Patsy representing Jedi yeah. arrogance. Yeah, yeah. She's just calm and patient and friendly and she was on the Jedi Council and then she resigned because she doesn't believe it anymore. I think she is phenomenal. I cry every time I think about that heroic death scene. Mm-hmm. But but my bae is Qui-Gon Jinn. Head and shoulders. All right, got it. <laughs> <laughs> because Qui-Gon represents the best of Dooku and Anakin. Mm-hmm. And he carried out the things that they wanted to do without ever being tempted by the dark side. Yeah. And more, honestly. Yeah. I think Qui-Gon shows um, living in the moment. And he he also followed that path of... Because like in in Phantom Menace, when it came out, the idea of what it meant to be a Jedi was much less fully formed. Yeah. Because it was 1999. And up until then, everything we knew about Jedi, we had learned from the original trilogy, which was not much. Party like it's 1999. And so Obi-Wan was being led by Qui-Gon, who was like kind of mean sometimes. He was kind of cold. He was kind of callous, but he was also inquisitive and interesting. 
And it felt like he had really gotten a handle on what it meant to be a Jedi. Yeah. That was a cool move of Liam Neeson to be able to kind of create what it meant to be a Jedi for the prequel era. Yeah, totally. To be one of the only stand-up representatives of a Jedi living out Jedi Mm -hmm. life, right? Yeah. And just to see him have to be so watchful over his master and be so adored by Mm -hmm. his master, something about seeing people who are loved makes me see all the reasons why they are loved. And it just reminded me why I love Qui-Gon Jinn. I think he is a quester. Yeah. I think he is on a different playing field than so many people like Mace Windu, who are really just content to take the next step that is laid out in front of them. I think Qui-Gon wants something so much bigger and more visionary out of his Mm -hmm. life. And then he does it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I also just, like, I feel like I keep sinking my fingernails into the cliffside that is keeping Qui-Gon Jinn in the Baywatch top 10, even though (laughs) he's only been in, like, three episodes of Star Wars ever. Like, I made him my bay in Phantom Menace Parts 1 and 2, and then we saw him again in Tales of the Jedi, and he is my bay, and I stand by that, Sam. (laughs) Fair I enough, stand by that. Enough. Who is your bay? Well, I'm going to go in the opposite direction for height, and I'm going to choose Dooku. Honestly, same. Yeah, Dooku is... Uh, so I recently had an interesting conversation. One of my coworkers uh, at... So I work in climate work, and one of my coworkers recently just addressed the UN. And I grabbed her and I said, I'm so grateful for the understanding now because my path up until this point with regards to the climate, which is, you know, the dark side of my life (laughs) has been one where it needs to, there needs to be a Clone Wars-esque upheaval. Mm. There needs to be a full on hard, bloody revolution to fix things. Yeah. And I recognize now that there is other paths forward. Hmm. And no matter how much corruption there is, there's there's paths forward. There's things to do. But I really admire the hell out of Dooku for taking that stand, taking the stance, mm-hmm. trying to do the right thing. Yeah, for even being willing to see that there is something deeply, deeply wrong and just name it. Yeah. Now, he's not without flaw. Mm-hmm. And I think that Yaddle might be a better option just because what she did at the end was resign from the council. Well, that is why Yaddle didn't end up on Baywatch for me, because I think she could have done something probably more important if she had stayed on the Jedi Council where she had influence. Yeah, but Dooku acted out of fear. Yeah. And that was that was the problem with him, and that is the arc. And he also failed to recognize empathy and to recognize forgiveness. Or to, it's almost like Dooku wasn't willing to recognize that he wasn't too far gone. He was too committed Mm -hmm. to the bit. He didn't give himself the flexibility to turn back when Yaddle called him. And that made him by far the most interesting character. And granted, it's an arc about him. Yeah, it's Dooku's story. It's Dooku's story, but... He's the star of his own show. And that's like the point. And that is what happened for me thinking through this was watching all of the parts, all the off-ramps 
to becoming Dara Tyrannis. Yeah. Is intriguing and it's a it's a really interesting object lesson in understanding empathy for oneself understanding forgiveness and understanding that having the right intentions and thinking that i am the only one who can execute them Mm. is a path of weakness Ooh, and also i would argue that dooku is an antagonist yeah and what makes for a really interesting antagonist is that we can see and relate to their cause, right? Mm -hmm. We can see that Dooku is motivated by the suffering of regular people and he wants things to be better for them. Mm -hmm. And so that's what makes him interesting and compelling as a villain is that we can see ourselves in his shoes. And we're thinking, yeah, honestly, like you've got a really great point. Yeah, and which is what he says to that guard who's, you know, presumably locked up forever. He's like, you right though. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a tough call for me with with Dooku, but I'm going with Dooku. I think that's a great choice. Yay, Baywatch! Yay, Baywatch! All right, Sam, what are we watching next week? Well, you're not going to believe this, but we're watching the other half of Tales of the Jedi. Ahsoka's Tale! Yeah, so that's, uh, what, one, five, and six? It is, indeed, and that is Life and Death, Practice Makes Perfect, and Resolve. So we're going to do that, and then we're going to have some personal life stuff, and then we're going to join you for Bad Batch. Yeah, we're going to finish out phase one of the podcast, which is so incredibly cool, and then we need to take a couple weeks off because we are moving in together, which is very exciting, and it's going to be a very busy time, Mm -hmm. and then we will be back with the pilot of The Bad Batch Season 1. I'm really excited for that one. That is like a long episode, though. It's like 90 minutes or something. Oh, my God. I know. The Bad Batch, like started off like 90 minutes and then like they get to like 22 minutes at the end it's kind of strange i got tired after three tales of the jedi i was like okay that's enough tv for today (laughs) rip on his attention span well you know we do it for you the listeners we have a new patreon Yeah, thank you, Erin, our newest patron. We are so excited to have you. If you want more Skywalker, you can also become one of our patrons. We offer bonus audio content once a week. Memberships start at $3 a month. That would be a really great way to help us, you know, clean up our carbon scoring and augment our spanner collection. Cover up those uh, blaster marks from ambushes on Jedi Masters. All the tear stains from my face. (laughs) (laughs) You can also follow us on social media, which is free. We are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, as long as Twitter stays alive. We might be starting a Hive social profile. Or whatever. We'll find something. We'll find something. You can you can find us if you see us on the street. You know? And uh, And send this episode to a person who you look at and you say, yeah, I really see where you're coming from. Especially this time of holidays. It's probably a relative... You know, I see where you're coming from. I disagree with you on some key points, but I see where you're coming from. Yes, love that. And we will see you next Tuesday. Bye-bye.